Hi everybody, I'm Sess Busby, editor of Flying Solo. Welcome to our weekly podcast where we step inside the minds and lives of soloists and small business owners. Today's guest is Helen Baker. Helen is an experienced financial advisor, speaker and author who is absolutely passionate about helping people become financially literate to find financial freedom. She's the spokesperson for online finance platform money.com.au and she joins us today to share some of her top tips for taking back control of your finances, including some timely advice around tax time for our small business listeners. Welcome, Helen. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Thanks for having me. Now, where did your interest in finance stem from? Were you like the kid that was saving their pocket money and had um, a budget for what they wanted to buy and squirreled stuff away? Was finance always something that was was in in you? I think it was more about I wanted to have financial security and I just wanted to make sure that I could get my own home and um, I'd always decided that I would work for an employer so I always had a salary and I didn't have to worry about that but there's no guarantee for that. And I said, I'd never have my own business, but here we go. I've been doing it for about 13 years now. So yeah, it didn't quite go as I thought it would as a child, but you know, I'm pretty happy with where I'm at and the difference that we're making in people's lives. So do you think we all should have a financial plan then? I think everybody needs one. A lot of times people sort of put their head in the sand and think, oh, I don't have enough to get started or I just don't want to deal with it. It's too hard. And the problem with things like that is time just goes by and we basically run out of time. And that time would have been used really well if investments had started or avoiding mistakes or doing things that made a difference strategically. And that always puts you ahead because at the end of the day, you have to pop your head up at some point out of that sand and the things are still going to be there. So I think it's about finding somebody you're safe with um, to give you the quality advice that you need and get you on your feet and keep you there. And you specialise in um, finance for women, don't you? I do. It sort of evolved from that very early. We started getting a lot of inquiries for women who were either professional women, women who were divorcing or women who'd been widowed. And a lot of them had little understanding about how to manage investments or what they should be doing and just seemed like a big mist sort of in front of them. So for me, it was about them coming to an advisor, a female advisor, which there was very few of us back when I started, um, to ensure that they were with somebody they could have a normal kind of conversation with and get some trusted advice and somebody to guide them. So, you know, they didn't feel silly asking those questions that sometimes they felt too afraid of to ask someone else or too afraid to go somewhere in case, you know, they got ripped off, basically. Um, do you, what do you think is the, the largest issue that's facing women then when it comes to their finance? Is it the, you know, gender equity and the, the pay gap and, or is it stuff like women are taking time off because of having the burden of um, most of the looking after children? What do you think is limiting women when it comes to finance? Or is it they're just insecure about what they should do with their money? Yeah, I think all of those points that you've made are absolutely true. We have 
issues like gender pay gap, we also have what I call career choice gap. So a lot of women choose areas such as, you know, hairdressing or caring for others, whether it be nursing or childcare or aged care. And a lot of those types of roles that they take on don't necessarily pay as well as, say, somebody who's a, you know, mining engineer or, a, you know, somebody working full time in a legal firm. And to your point, there are a lot of women who are sacrificing time to take care of their parents or their parents-in-law there are, and the grandparents as well. And then there are having that time off for children and that stopping and starting. So there's a lot of things that, you know, in finance, if you assumed I earned this for the rest of my life and I put this away, I'll be fine. But what happens in a woman's life is generally a little more stop, start, a bit of part time. And I also think, again, it's about getting the advice and women haven't tended to do that a lot because they ha- our industry has been heavily male-dominated and for some women that hasn't been something they felt comfortable with. Mm. So they're, they're not sure who they t- should turn to for advice? Yeah, I think, you know, there's a perception that, oh, it's all this, you know, Wall Street cowboys and my money will blow up. And again, there's also a lot of focus on investment when some of the great fun stuff that we do is actually the strategic advice, you know, taking advantages of strategies that you can implement that put you in a better position. And the investment is important, but it's not the most prominent aspect of what you're doing. So it's about taking steps. It's about managing tax and stretching your money further. It's about putting in what I call those five foundations in place before we build on top. Lots of people have gone ahead and built things, whether it's buy an investment property or started some sort of investment, but they didn't pack that underneath with all the right foundations. So then as soon as something goes wrong, whether it be that they lose their job or they get sick and can't work or they want the opportunity to make certain choices, they haven't built enough underneath or got those things in play to protect what they've built on top. And so then they get to a point where they're kind of forced to sell an investment or don't have the choices that they wanted to make. So it's about getting all the pieces of the puzzle in place and putting round pegs in round holes and square pegs in square holes. Mm. I think the pandemic probably really exposed to a lot of people and uh, not just women that the um financial insecurity was kind of a paycheck away. Yeah, I think that was a massive eye opener because we've had it so good in Australia compared to a lot of others and certainly in these generations um you know I'm through the generation where you know we went through the recession we had to have so I think even though did we really, but, you know, in the back of our mind is like, okay, there are times when things can go really south, you know, and um, so being brought up with that, that's sort of, again, why I talk about protecting what you build on top so that when these rainy days do come or challenges come, um, there is a plan in place. So I think it was a massive eye-opener for people that, your job is not always guaranteed and something that can come so fast like that can really impact people's lives. Hmm. So what are these five foundations that you're talking about? Yeah, so the first one's having the emergency fund and that money tucked away for the rainy day. The second one is what I call a spending and investment plan. So some people might use the term budgets, but 
budgets for me generally feel a bit like handcuffs and I can't do this and I can't do that and I've got to be really strict and it's almost like when people do a diet and say okay well I'm not going to have chocolate and then before long they have chocolate and they just go berserk because they were so stifled. So what we want to do is be realistic and say, you know what, we want to get our hair done or nails done or put um, kids through sport or school, put petrol in the car, groceries, all those things that we need and holidays included. And then aside from that, what's left over? And then with that money, what do we do with it? Do we put it on a home loan? Do we put it in an investment? Do we put it in super what do we do with that extra money? And it'll be different at different stages of life as well and what's going on in people's lives and what their goals are in order to plan that. So that's number two, the spending and investment plan. The third one is around insurances, which looks at private health, general insurance like home contents, cars, and then those personal ones. And that's become even more complex and even more costly of late because a lot of people probably think they're insured and they're not because they've either consolidated super or they just don't have enough. So we know we've got a big problem in that area. But recently, um, costs have gone up around 30% on insurance. So it's a massive issue for people to continue to afford it, but the risk of not having it and so having some balance around what's appropriate and where are you willing to take risks with informed decisions around that rather than finding out too late. And then the fourth one is around super. So to that point, you know, there's a lot of talk about consolidating, but I say don't do that until you've got advice because if you do consolidate, then, you know, that insurance is gone. So you may need to keep it. Um, And then there are other things around that to make sure that you do retain it with opt-ins and balances and active contributions and all that complexity in there. But um, in the super, it's about how your money's invested, you know, are the fees reasonable, um, it's not always true that the the fees uh, in a non-industry fund are more expensive. That isn't true. We do that for a lot of clients that are actually lower fees on that. So it's worth getting good advice about that. Um, insurance sitting inside there, you know, do you pay it from super or do you pay it from your cash flow? Because income protection is actually tax deductible. So you probably get a better tax deduction outside of super but it also affects your cash flow. And then the last part of super is around those nominations. Who have we left it to? Are they an eligible beneficiary of super because that's restricted? And it ties in with number five, which is estate planning around wills and powers of attorney and special trusts that might be appropriate for families and advanced health directives. And if we get all those in play, then we've taken control over the things that we can control and then what do we build on top and how do we make sure that we get from A to B and have a great journey along the way and the lifestyle that we want to achieve. Hmm. And planning for the worst case scenario doesn't mean that you're not being optimistic about things. It just means you're better protecting yourself in the long run and your family. And I think in a way, to your point, that's right, it is about enables you actually to get moving and start doing the things that build your wealth and buy you the choices down the track to, you know, dial down the hours that you're working or have a year off and travel because you have put 
those foundations in place to protect yourself. And so, yeah, it's about knowing these things can come and how you make sure you protect yourself, even around things like divorce and control over the amount of debt that you have between you or the knowledge or understanding about where money is and what's happening with that when we've got partners involved. You don't want a nasty surprise down the track and it's not that you need to be fearful but it's about being in control for yourself and having wisdom and knowledge around the elements that decide what your life is going to be like. Hmm. Now um, a lot of our listeners are small business owners and there's quite a lot of women in business amongst those. Um, Many of them sole traders, lots have started a side hustle that's now kind of blossomed into a business what things should they be thinking about in terms of their business finance if they if they aren't already just um because I think as a business owner particularly when you're starting um something as a side hustle you're doing it because it's something that you love doing so you don't necessarily have those typical business plan skills that um traditional business owning might encompass and even then I'm not sure how much it actually does I think most business owners just have so many hats that they have to wear that they don't necessarily know the ins and outs of that they would be better off outsourcing would you suggest I don't know would you be suggesting that they talk to a financial advisor or that they get their accountant involved to make sure that they've got the right structure for their business yeah I think structure is really important firstly like Congratulations to everybody who is out there having the courage to take the leap, but also the luxury of doing something that you love doing on a daily basis because then it doesn't feel so much like work. It's like you're really enjoying yourself and you're getting paid for it, which is fantastic. But I think to your point, there's probably, I would say to business owners similar to myself, is you need um, those foundations from a business perspective And you need one from a personal perspective as well. So you're trying to protect both those elements. If it's something that's more of a side hustle and something that's sort of small on the side, the structure could be more complex than you maybe need, but it may be important depending on what that side hustle is to separate the legalities of that into a different structure so that if anything went wrong, the other things that you own are hopefully still protected so you don't lose them. And that's the thing with super, you know, super is protected against bankruptcy and creditors if something goes wrong. So it's a great addition to have. And it's also something we often don't do as business owners because we're so focused on cash flow and just, you know, staying on top of that and the ebbs and flows that come along with business. And so we want to make sure that we've protected ourselves, that we've got an emergency fund, but we also put super away on these elements because if we were working for somebody, we would be getting super and the danger is down the track. We find ourselves well behind where we could be. And the good news is, you know, putting contributions to super is tax deductible as well. So you get a little bit of a tax concession on the way. Mm. it's also um you know you hear the stories of the business owner that doesn't pay themselves as well like that they just massively it does it's a massive issue because in general we think one it's either that the cash flow is so pertinent to just getting through the next week and and 
funding our personal expenses, our mortgages and our life and so on. So there's a pressure there so people don't do it. But the other one is because often people think, well, this is my super, this is something that I can control. And in some businesses, they can get a better return than perhaps the property market or the share market at different times in life. But the risk is, how long is that business going to be around before a competitor takes over some of what your positioning is, or by technology or outsourcing or robots or whatever's going to come down the track, the business may not be worth anything or maybe not worth as much as we expected. And so the risk is when you put all your eggs in that one basket, there isn't a backup plan. And I've certainly seen that over time where people have thought their business was going to be their opportunity to see them through and it just hasn't come off and then they haven't had the super to back themselves up and there's look not really much you can do at that stage. So the earlier, again, we start protecting ourselves by putting different things in different baskets and by that diversification, then we manage risk and we also get the opportunity to go with the wins and losses from year to year where some things go better in different industries than others and we're just measuring that out and managing risk along the way. Hmm. Now, um, tax time is coming up. I know that a lot of <laughs> business owners are like, oh, <laughs> yeah. the very mention <laughs> of the word. Um, so what are some tips that you might have? I guess does it start with the record keeping? Yeah, it's a good one that you say that because as you were saying that, I was just imagining people being like so committed to their business and then just looking over there and seeing piles of papers or, you know, bits and pieces with all the information thinking, oh, no, I have to deal with that mound that's sitting there. But, yeah, I think um, that can be sometimes a good idea where you're outsourcing to bookkeepers or something like that who can take it on for you. But record keeping is key mainly because often we forget some of the things that we could potentially make a claim for or a partial claim for um, just because we're just in the busyness of every day. So having a good system will certainly help you and obviously if you get audited then you've got the proof to demonstrate that. And there's the um, plenty of digital. Mm. Oh, sorry, I was just going to say there's plenty of um, digital software these days as well, you know, like you can snap a photo of your receipt and say goodbye to that shoebox that you've got in the corner. 100%. That's really good because a lot of these receipts fade anyway. Yeah. So it makes it easier and to your point, yeah, just in an app or something that can bring all that together is a is a really great strategy. And what about if um, I'm a business owner and I've I've haven't registered for GST but now it's looking like it's getting close to when I'm going to have to what do they need to be thinking about yeah so that's a good one to have a chat with an accountant about how you set yourself up with that or you can talk directly to the ATO um, again making sure that you've kept everything that you need to have kept and an understanding of when you're crossing that threshold and what happens in those situations so getting that accounting advice is really important you don't want to end up getting a really big penalty for something that you weren't doing correctly. Hmm. And deductions, I guess, um, it's become more complicated, hasn't it? <laughs> like... Yeah, it sort of does become complicated in in one sense and then in another is 
you know, there's not an awful lot to deduct at certain times, but being a business owner probably opens you up to things that you may not be able to claim as an employee. So we've got the working from home deductions that are sort of whether you're working from home or um, a home office or you actually work in another office but you're doing some things from home. So logging on that, catching that internet electricity, the things that you're doing there is important. Um, depreciation is one that often gets because nobody really understands what that is sometimes. It's like, what does that word mean? Um, so, again, you know your furniture and uh, tools and things like that that you might be entitled to claim and get a deduction on there. There's the mileage on cars. Professional advice, which is great. So seeing your accountant or your lawyer or your financial advisor or your business coaches. And the great thing with that is if they're really good at what they're doing, hopefully they are um worth more money than what you've paid them in the big scheme of things but you're getting a tax deduction for that advice as well and then income protection is one of the insurances but you might have public liability public indemnity some of the maybe the house insurance or things like that that may be relevant depending on what your actual setup is and car insurances and things like that so making sure you check with um, your accountant, you can actually type into the ATO website different industries that, or jobs that will come up and it will tell you the kind of things that you can think about claiming. So as a business owner, though, you should be able to claim a little bit more than the everyday employee will. Mm. And what about uh, the instant asset write-off and things like that end of financial years coming up? Should, should business owners be going, oh, now's the time to buy my equipment if I need something or yeah I think it's a great one if you need it because if you know you do that sort of in this month in uh, these months coming with June coming up and then you know you put in your tax returns fairly quickly in the new year then you can get that money back um the danger though is lots of people think oh it's tax deductible so I get all my money back and not all deductions are money back they're just a deduction so you know let's just say you're in the 34 and a half percent tax bracket you're still paying 65.5 percent of the cost of that item so doing things just to get a tax deduction is still costing you money so you want to be doing these things because they make financial sense to do so because you actually need them yeah <laughs> yeah don't go buy a <laughs> $30,000 car and then expect to get $30,000 back. <laughs> That's right, exactly. Wouldn't that be nice though? <laughs> I think it's those kind of things as well where um, people and business owners just fall over because it's not really explained clearly enough to them. Yeah, I think that's right. We're often really good at whatever it is that we are doing for a business and we're all over those sorts of things. But I think it's impossible with the complexity that's out there in so many aspects now. It's very hard to be all over the IT area, all over the finance area, all over supply chains, everything that you've got to be across, networking, marketing, you know. So we've got to be kind to ourselves and say, you know what, I'm actually going to get the support that I need, just like we'd get our car serviced by a proper mechanic. You know, we don't often try and do that ourselves or a plumber, like pull in the people that you need around you to make your life easier and benefit from their wisdom because hopefully then it's paying for itself. Yeah, and Imagine takes 
a smidgen of the time for them to do it as it would for you to labour over it and try to do it yourself and they, they would get a much better outcome. <laughs> yeah, it's a great point because they always say, you know, if you can make more money doing something than it costs you to pay someone else to do it, then, you know, you're better off moving your time and go and get another client, do another job, whatever it is, and then let the other things be taken care of by someone else. So what advice would you have for business owners at the moment who are kind of still struggling with cash flow issues because of what they've been through the last two years with the pandemic? Yeah, it's a good one. When I started out with my business, I tried to go it alone and it took quite a while to get that um, momentum happening. And so in the end, I went back and worked two days a week, just doing some part-time work, something I could kind of do with my eyes shut really, but it paid the mortgage for me and it made me feel more comfortable because I didn't have to worry about that as one aspect. And then I could keep growing the business. And then when the business got big enough for itself, you know, I didn't need to do that anymore. But if that's what you need to do to get you through a little window is, you know, maybe look at getting something that just helps turn that cash register over on your personal side of things so that you can come back to the business, keep the business wheels turning, but take the pressure off the finances for you. And what about financial literacy? What would you say to uh, a business owner who is really like, I, I, don't know what I'm doing when it comes to my finances I don't know what I'm doing what's the first step for them yeah I think getting support is kind of key I've written my book on your own two feet which I've tried to write as if I'm talking to you so it's sort of interesting but people say they get a lot out of that and the money from that goes to charity so we're helping other people with the money which is great But I think it's about just topping up on the areas and not being afraid to ask a professional person the questions that you think may be silly. They're not silly because we hear things all the time and what we actually appreciate is the honesty and and the humility that people say, hey, I feel vulnerable in this area, can you help me? And then we get such a thrill out of explaining things in not normal terms that you can understand and then seeing the light go on for people is just so rewarding for us as business people. So I think don't be afraid but just find the right people or the right resources. Welcome to Google any articles on anything that I've written Um, anything that can do that can support you, uh, just load it up. But again, try not to get overwhelmed with it. And if it means just a simple consult with somebody to have that chat or a financial coach or someone like that, yeah, pursue that so that it's no longer a fear or something that's holding you back. Just let it be something that makes sense and helps push you forward. Do you think part of it comes from, you know, that old thing where people didn't talk about money it wasn't polite to talk about money and there's kind of a bit of a stigma in a way that if there were money issues you wouldn't talk about them yeah I think that's absolutely true but ironically you know what you still find that today I think people talk about some aspects like they might talk about what's happening in the property market or but i doubt most people would still sit with you and tell you exactly what their salary was. Like there's definitely still bits that we don't share. Um, There are bits that people don't talk about their debts. And I've certainly seen that with 
um, you know, somebody who came many years ago and if you drove past their house, you would see the big house and the very nice cars and you would think, wow, look at the great position that they're in and kids all going off to private school in the car. But when you saw the other side of how much debt there was on that house, how much debt there was on the cars, how much debt there was on credit cards, um, you know, things are not always what they seem. And I think we can um, deceive ourselves a little bit to think that a lot of people in really good positions than what they really are and makes us feel like we don't want to talk about it because we're not keeping up with the Joneses when actually that may not be always true. And then on the other side, you've got people who are doing very well um, and it'd be nice if then they sort of encouraged other people through by giving them some wisdom and helping them and encouraging them to to do some things that make them feel better. But it's still a bit of a taboo subject still. Hmm. I think that's also great what you do as well because you're you're spreading the knowledge and as you said, with your book, every copy of the book, the money is going towards um, charities to help women actually become more financially literate, which is a really admirable thing that you're doing, Helen. Thank you. And I think, again, for if we get finances right, we make quality decisions in all areas of our life. You know, people are less likely to go into bad relationships or stay in violent relationships or not pursue a business that they'd be more than capable to do because they feel really trapped from a financial perspective. So I think having that finances sorted is giving you the freedom to get out and live the life you want and and to try your hand at some of these things that you're passionate about, like your own business. So number one step uh, for me, if I'm thinking about going into business for myself, what's the first thing I should be doing from the finance side? I think it's having a plan around what that business is, you know, mapping out what the commitment, the upfront commitment might be to get started. If it's a side hustle, it might be very low. If it's a big commitment, a big proper business, um, then you probably need a lot more money behind you to set everything up the way you need to set it up to get the right um, advice, insurances, structures in place around all of those elements. And then, you know, doing those numbers that say, okay, well, how many clients do I need or how many of these things do I need to sell? What's my profit going to look like? What's my cost going to look like? Do I need to work on the side for a little while or, you know, how does this all pull together? And so I think it's it does often come back to the numbers before um, to, to be wise about the commitment that you're making. Hmm. It's always better to be armed with a plan. <laughs> and you can always change the plan too, you know, like the plan gives you an idea. Yeah, it's a moving document. Yeah, it's a living document. Like it's a, Exactly. It's a living strategy because things will, will either hit the target or go above the target or below the target. And so you just keep adjusting as you go. And it's kind of part of the fun really is re rethinking, okay, well, what do we do now? This is happening. Okay, well, we'll go with that or we don't go with that anymore. Let's change tack and try this. You know, it's um, it's always evolving, which makes it interesting. Thank you so much. It's been so great chatting with you today. Lots of valuable advice for our listeners. Um, and where can people buy 
your book? Yeah, directly from the stores and your online stores or directly off our website at onyourowntwofeet.com.au. And he's hoping more women and business owners get up on their own two feet. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Helen. My pleasure. All the best to everybody who's listening.